0: Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Let's pray. Lord, You are great. You are awesome. You do wrap Yourself in light as as with a garment. You are beyond our description and comprehension. Lord, we sing the most exalted songs we can write and yet they still fall so short of even touching the fringes of Your glory. For You are uh, an awesome God beyond our, our understanding. You are indescribable. You are the name above all names. You are the one who holds reality together every moment. Lord, we talk about things like the law of gravity, but there is no such thing as the law of gravity, except insofar as You keep it working moment by moment. It is You who uphold the fabric of reality. It is You who sustain all things by the power of Your Word. And so, Lord, we worship You and praise You. And to think that You, who are such an awesome, glorious God, would send Your own Son to die for us so that we could call You Father. To think that we could come to You as Your children with the innocence of a little child, coming into Your presence To think that You would want to draw so near to us who have rebelled so profoundly against Your laws. That, Lord, You not only saved us from our sins, You not only made us born again, but You adopted us into Your family. So that just as the Lord Jesus Christ could come into Your presence as a son to a father, so now we are Your daughters and sons through faith in Christ. Oh Lord, we love You. We ask Your forgiveness for our sins. Even this week we have failed you. Even this week we have turned from your ways. Lord, forgive us for our many faults. Lord, help us to forgive those who sin against us. Lord, we pray this day that you would be at work in our midst. We live in a troubled world. We pray that your hand would be at work in this world. That you would be bringing peace. That you would be bringing your kingdom to bear on the kingdoms of this world. Lord, I pray for this congregation of people who are gathered here. We're all here. It's Father's Day. It's a beautiful day. And yet, Lord, there are difficulties, there are needs and hurts and uh, wounds. Lord, I pray for those uh, who this day are grieving the loss of loved ones. I pray for those who are going through difficult relationships, difficult experiences with children, maybe going through a divorce. Lord, I pray that you'd sustain and uphold them this morning. Lord, I pray for those who uh, have needs in their lives. Maybe they need uh, medical care. Perhaps, Lord, there are financial needs. I pray, Lord, that as you know, each and every need as a loving father. That you would meet those needs as a father would meet the needs of a child. Lord, thank you for this people. I thank you for the love that we have in our congregation. We lift up our missionaries this morning and we pray, Lord, you would uh, give them success. Encourage them out there on the mission field. Some of them are in very lonely places. Lord, sustain and support them, we pray. And now, Lord, as we come to the Bible, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You that You're a Father who has spoken to us through the Word. And Lord, as we open the Bible now, we pray for the Holy Spirit's power. I need the Holy Spirit's power to be able to preach Your Word. We need the Holy Spirit's power to be able to hear Your Word. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, enable us to know the Father this morning through the Word. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, we invite any kids here kindergarten to second grade to be dismissed to Children's Church, which you can find through the door over here by the piano. And as our kindergarten to second graders are being dismissed, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, page 1029 in the Pew Bible, Luke chapter 11. Today we're studying the Lord's Prayer as we continue our march through the Gospel of Luke. <coughs> we're going to study Luke 11, verses 1-4. to And let me just read the text. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Imagine if uh, this afternoon you got a knock at your door. And you open up the door, and there, standing outside your door, were 10 or 12 people from church that you recognized as church people. And you said, hi. Hi. (laughs) What's up? And they said, hi, we're the prayer committee from church. Like, okay. And they said, well, we're here so that you can have an hour to pray. Like, what do you mean? Well, we want to facilitate prayer for you so you can have an hour to yourself to pray. And you said, well, uh, well, I have kids here to take care of. Don't worry. We brought games. We brought coloring books. We brought videos. We are going to take care of your kids for an hour. But I got a big Father's Day cookout today and I, ah, ah. ah. We're going to cook the food. We're going to marinate the meat. We're going to clean your house. We are going to mow your lawn. We are here, you know, so that you can pray for an hour. Whatever excuses you may have, they're gone. We have a whole people. If you need more, we'll call more people. We're here. And so they kind of shush you off, and they put you in some secret room in your house where it's going to be quiet, maybe that's your spare bedroom, or maybe you have a place in the basement, and click, the door is closed behind you, and you now have an hour, not to watch TV, not to nap, not to read a book, not to think, but to pray. And my question to you is, would that be a terrifying prospect to you, (laughs) or an exciting prospect to you? Would you say, ah, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, Jesus is praying. He prayed a lot. His disciples saw him pray. And so one day when he finishes, one of the disciples kind of names the elephant in the room. This disciple recognizes that Jesus prays a lot and the disciples don't. There's a disconnect. And so he says, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. And my suspicion is that most of us here this morning would resonate deeply with those words. Lord, teach me to pray. I don't pray. Or I have an emaciated prayer life. Or if I was stuck in a room for, forget an hour, ten minutes, you know, I wouldn't know what to do. I'm not sure I could really pray in any kind of coherent, meaningful way. Lord, teach me to pray. And He does. That's what we have in verses 2-4. to four. Jesus teaches them how to pray. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus gives us here a model prayer so that we can learn to pray on our own. It's kind of a blueprint. It's an outline for praying. So that as we memorize this prayer, we not only memorize the words of it so that we can say the Lord's Prayer, but we also learn kind of what should be in prayer. It's a blueprint as well for building your own prayers. Uh, Now, it, it is certainly meant to be said together, but maybe you notice as we're reading it, this may sound different from the Lord's Prayer that you learned as a little kid, doesn't it? Isn't that interesting? The one we learned is a little bit longer. It has a little more to it. And the one that we learned is based upon the Gospel of Matthew's Lord Prayer. This is the Gospel of Luke's Lord Prayer, which is shorter and has fewer parts to it, which raises the question, why does the Bible have two different Lord's Prayers? Why is there one in Matthew and one in Luke, which are pretty much the same, but not totally? And uh, I suspect the answer to that question is because Jesus was an itinerant minister. Uh, He traveled around from town to town. He went village to village. And if you have an itinerant preaching ministry, you tend to say the same stories, the same sermons, the same illustrations. You teach new disciples the same kinds of things. And every time it's not exactly the same. So here are these disciples traveling with Jesus for three years, hearing the same, oh, I love this one. Oh, look, he's gonna get him with this story. You know, I love when he tells this parable. And, and, you know, so they just, they start memorizing his teachings because they're just ground into him. But it's not exactly the same. Uh, If you heard my sermon this service and then came again, maybe you're a glutton for punishment and you want to come the next service to hear it again, I suspect, you know, what, and someone said, well, how was it? Was it the same? You would say, well, mostly. But it wasn't exactly the same. He didn't do this, and he said that in uh, one service and didn't say it in the other. But it's mostly the same. And I think that's what we have here. Now, that's important, because I think what that tells us is that, yes, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that we should memorize and say together as a congregation. There's a liturgical use of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father, this is a, a corporate prayer that we say together. But I think because of the variations, we should also be careful of not feeling that this is kind of like a magic formula, that you have to get the words exactly right. I mean, there's different versions of it. It, it, It's a guideline. It's an outline. It's a blueprint from which we construct our own prayers as well. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to kind of lay out the blueprint of the Lord's Prayer to teach us to pray. Or rather, as we study this prayer, to let the Lord Jesus, who is here with us, teach us to pray according to his outline and his structure. Um, You know, this is a great prayer. You could spend a many weeks sermon series, multiple weeks sermon series studying this prayer. But I thought it might be interesting to kind of look at it in one big chunk. To sort of get the whole shape and topography of this prayer. So that we would have in our minds a working structure so that if you ever do have we probably wouldn't have an hour (laughs) but ten minutes. you You would know how to use that ten minutes. There's a way you could on your lunch break, as you're walking from you know, your office to the place where you're going to eat lunch, you, you can just run through this prayer and use the outline of it. It's kind of like an accordion. You can extend it out as far as you need to, once you have the basic gist of it. So that's what I want to do. I just want to go over the outline with you. And if you look at the prayer in verses 2 to 4, yeah, it has two basic parts. So that's easy to remember. A two-point prayer. The first half of the prayer is focused on God. So that's the first part of the Lord's Prayer. Just summarize it this way God. (laughs) It's the vertical dimension. It's a focus away from ourselves and our needs to focus on who God is. And notice that you can further break that down. He says, Hallowed be your name. So the first part of the Lord's Prayer is really you start with just focusing on who God is, it's praising God for who he is. Uh, hallowed be your name. The name of God is another way of saying the character or the person of God. And so to pray that God's name would be hallowed would be to say, God, may your greatness and your attributes be gloried in and savored and worshipped. Starting with me, Lord, I want to be a person who savors who you are. Let your name be hallowed. Uh, It's a prayer of praise for who God is to worship Him. And you know, it's interesting, when you look at some of the prayers in the Old Testament, you read through how the saints in the Old Testament prayed, uh, they would often, very often, start their prayers by just focusing on who God is, before they even got to the issues in their life. And and let me tell you, some of these prayers were times of crisis. Some of these people were really in over their heads. And yet, even in these times of crisis, as they're crying out to God, they start, not with themselves, but just... Focusing, disciplining their thoughts about who God is. So that they start by framing reality the way it should be framed, which is God. He is ultimately reality and the one who upholds our reality. And so let me just give you a few examples I I bookmarked here. Uh, King Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple that he had built, stands up to pray this big dedicatory prayer of blessing upon the temple. But how does he start it? By focusing on God. Let me just read the very first... Couple sentences of his prayer: O Lord God of Israel, there is no god like you, in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. So before even getting to asking for blessings on the temple, he's focusing on God's uniqueness and God's faithfulness and God's love. Or another story is the story of King Hezekiah, who was um, besieged by the Assyrian armies and. We studied this a couple years ago and we were going through the book of Isaiah. Maybe you'll remember that. And uh, anyway, he's besieged by these armies and they're threatening to destroy Jerusalem and so he comes to God in prayer. But the first thing he does is he focuses on who God is. He says, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So he thinks about God's creative power and God's sovereignty. Or just one more example. We could go on and on. This is a prayer by King Jehoshaphat. Good old King Jehoshaphat. uh, Being threatened by the Moabites and the Ammonites who were coming in uh, together to invade Judah. And so he prays a prayer. Desperate times. Times of crisis. Everything's falling apart. But how does he start his prayer? By focusing on the person of God. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers, Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. And so he starts by just thinking about the omnipotence of God and the sovereignty of God, the reign and rule of God. And I I just commend to you that you can never go wrong in your prayers if you'll start your prayers by thinking about some aspect of who God is. And there are lots. And just focusing on that and letting your mind turn it over and ruminating on it and meditating on who God is. And let that be the way you start your prayers, even if it's just a short prayer. Praise God for some aspect of his character. Uh, And so we kind of have to discipline ourselves and train ourselves to do this. You know, but you you can do it. I mean, maybe you get up in the morning to commute to work and you get up early and you go to your car and you look up and you see the sunrise and you see the colors stretched out against the clouds, and it's you know, just, wow, that's beautiful. And then, you know, you can use that to pray. You can say, God, I praise you because your glory stretches out over the earth, that you are a beautiful and awesome God. Let whatever God was showing you by way of that illustration of the clouds to just become part of your prayer. Uh, or a better way, even, to learn how to praise God for who he is, is to pick a passage in the Bible, pick a passage, any passage, read it and ask this question what does this passage tell me about who God is that's an interpretive question that you can ask of any passage in the Bible even if you read a passage in your Bible you're like I don't get this, this is weird you can always get to that question what does this passage tell me about God because the whole Bible is about God it's a book that points us to God and um, yeah you know, look, look at Luke 11, 1-4 just the passage we're studying what does this tell you about God a lot of things one thing is that He hears and answers prayer. Let I me mean, just stop right there. This is not some far-off deity who made the universe and then went away and just kind of wound it up like a, the deistic God and, and let it just run on its own. He's very intimately involved in His creation. That He's the kind of God who communicates. He's a person. It's not like in Eastern religion where God isn't a person, but He's just kind of like the Force, kind of everything. No, no. God is a person. He communicates. He speaks. He is a being. And so we can speak to to God. That's awesome. Let's just think about who God is. And so we start by focusing on God. We praise His person. And I understand this is probably one of the most difficult parts of prayer. If you're going to have a prayer life, this is probably one of the most difficult aspects is to train your mind just to think about who God is. It's not where we naturally go. Uh, If I could commend a couple books to you this morning. One is uh, by J.I. Packer, a classic called Knowing God. This is a great read, a lot of little chapters, each focused on different attributes of God. You know, read a chapter of week for this year and and just learn more about who God is. It's a great little read, Uh, or or a little bit um, smaller book, a little thinner. Uh, It's called uh, Cat and Dog Theology. I've recommended this book before. Just a wonderful kind of whimsical book talking about uh, how it's about God and it's not about us. And so it helps us focus on the greatness and the character of God again. And so use those things to help start your prayers focused on Him. But notice there's another way we can focus on God in our prayers, and that is to not only pray for His praise His person, but we can also pray for the advancement of His program. See, I have P's this morning. That's my mnemonic device. The person of God and the program of God. So I want you to be properly impressed with my wit. Um, So start with praising God's person. Second, praying for his program. May your kingdom come. And notice how those two go together. Because the more I I, I let myself stand in awe of God, the more I delight in who He is, the more I savor His character and His being, the more I will instinctively feel a disconnect between who God is and the way the world responds to God. And I will be grieved... Even as I rejoice, I will say, you are an awesome God, but this world, including me, just doesn't get it. There's something wrong here. There's who God is, and then there's the world that's just gone away from him. And he's not honored, he's not worshipped, he's not loved, even by me sometimes, the way he should be. And so I should grieve that, and it should make me pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your power come to pass and come to bear in this world. Uh, My wife was reading this book recently, and she's been telling me about it. It's an interesting book. Um, It's called Inside the Kingdom. I don't know if you've heard of this book. It was written by Carmen bin Laden. Uh, She she married one of the bin Laden brothers. You know, the bin Laden family, Osama bin Laden's like 50 brothers from multiple wives. It's this huge, complex kind of family. And uh, she married one of them. And this woman is a Westerner. She was raised in the West, educated in the West. And then she went to live in Saudi Arabia with her husband, because he sort of worked for the bin Laden company. And, but anyway, she writes this book about the oppressive, tyrannical life for women underneath fundamentalist Islam. How horrible it is. And make no mistake, you know, the, the way the women have to dress and these clothes, it's just a symbol of their life. They can't go out to the marketplace. They can't shop. They can't... Um, you know, watch TV except for the you know two or three channels that come in where the guy just kind of reads the Koran all day or whatever. You know, it's not really intellectually stimulating. They can't read very much because most of the books are censored. Uh, and they can't go out and talk to each other. They can't talk to men. And so you just have this life where women are intellectually, emotionally, physically cut off in this oppressive, horrible, you know, religious expression. And you know, I, my wife's telling me about this thing. I'm like, oh my goodness. I can't believe it. You know, I want to read this book now and just see what it's like. But it makes you want to pray, Lord, may Your kingdom come to Saudi Arabia. May the light of the Gospel shine there. May the people there see that Jesus is not just another prophet in a string of prophets, but that He's the Son of God and that the Gospel brings liberty and life. May there be freedom to come into the lives of the people of that nation. Then it also makes you look at America and say, Lord, may Your kingdom come here. Because, you know, we've just gone... We have a problem It's just the exact opposite end of the spectrum. You know, we've taken it all off, so to speak. Uh, you know, we have gone so far in the direction of libertinism that everything is okay and nothing is wrong and there's no boundaries and no morality. So, you know, and no wonder some of them hate some of us because they see our lawlessness and we see their oppressiveness and what we need to see is the gospel of Christ. That's where the freedom and the, the, the law is. It all comes together in Christ. And so we've got to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come in America as well, in our culture. Um, wherever we see evil and oppression and dysfunction and hurt and brokenness and corruption, we need to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come here on this earth. We need to be praying for our missionaries. Uh, we need to be praying for those who have gone out from our church. Uh, we need to pray for each other, that God's kingdom would come. I, I hope each Sunday you're praying for me as, or whoever's getting up to preach Just as you sit down in your pew, quick little prayer, Lord, bless the Word this morning. Let the Word advance the Kingdom of God this morning through whoever is preaching. It doesn't matter who the person is. It's about the Word of God. Uh, And I pray for you. You know, I have the membership list and the directory of people in the church and part of what I like to do is I just pray through it. Go through it each week. And you know, as far as I can get, i put a little mark the next day, just pick it up and just pray for you that, that God's Kingdom would come in your lives as well so, we need to be praying for the advancement of God's program. As we glory in who God is, and we see the disconnect between who God is and the way the world has responded, we need to pray that those two would come together, that God's kingdom would come, and that on earth his will would be done as it is in heaven. So anyway, that's the first half of the prayer. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The second half of the prayer focuses on our needs. So, Part number one is God. Part number two is our needs. You make that transition. And it's kind of interesting that a lot of the prayers in the Old Testament are structured that way. They start by praising God and then the second half is then here's what I need, God. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments focus on who God is. The other six of the Ten Commandments focus on our relationships to one another. So this is kind of natural division and we see it here in the Lord's Prayer as well. So here we shift our focus to our needs. And the first thing we pray for is provision. There's my next P. Give us each day our daily bread. Uh, Bread, of course, was kind of a basic staple of life in those days. Uh, If you're going to eat at someone's house, you could say, I ate bread with so-and-so. It was kind of a way of summarizing eating together because bread was just so fundamental. So when you're praying for daily bread, I think what that means is that we're praying for the basic necessities of life. That we need. We recognize that what we need to live is a gift from God, and so we ask him every day for whatever that is. Lord, give us bread. I need food, clothing, shelter. Uh, here in the suburbs, you kind of need a car. Lord, I need a car. I need transportation. Uh, we can pray for health needs, health needs for those we love, for ourselves. Uh, emotional needs. If someone's grieving, if somebody is Going through a difficult divorce, if somebody is depressed. I mean, it's tough just to function when you're going through those things. We've got to pray. Lord, give them their, you know, in a sense, daily bread. Give them the sustenance they need just to go day by day as they grieve the loss of, you know, the child or whatever it is. And and so we pray for those daily needs to come to pass. Um, You know, 50 inch plasma TV, probably not daily bread. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Well, I don't know. What are you praying for? (laughs) Sometimes that's the issue. God, uh, give us our daily bread. It's a prayer for our basic provision. And so we recognize that God gives us what we need each day. And my guess is this is probably the easiest part of prayer for us. If you had that 15 minutes alone or half an hour alone to pray, probably you and I could fill it up with a lot of stuff underneath this category. We know a lot of people around us who are in need. We have needs in our lives and And that's good. I think a lot of prayer should be what we call intercession. And and that basically means praying for other people, interceding for them. And so that's another thing you can do if you're in prayer. Just start going through a list of all the people you know. Write them down. I know some of you who are kind of prayer warriors, you have journals where you write down the prayer requests and then you leave a column on the other side to fill in how God answers the prayer. That's a pretty amazing discipline. Because you're like, wow, God really does answer prayers. It's amazing. And so pray for things that you know of. But not just our physical needs. Also pray for our spiritual needs. Forgive us our sins. And our spiritual need far surpasses our physical need. Our need for the forgiveness of our sins is the greatest need we have. Yet we often don't recognize it, we don't feel it. We're more focused on our physical situation. And so it's easy to kind of cover up or numb or medicate our spiritual needs. But that spiritual need is just as real and in fact more important to have our sins forgiven. That's why God sent His one and only Son not to hand out food, but to die for our sins so that our our guilt can be taken away and I can stand in a right relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. So that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved, will have their sins forgiven and will stand acquitted before the bar of God's justice. That's why Jesus came. And so we need His forgiveness. And even as Christians, we have to keep praying, forgive us our sins. It's like, well, if I'm a Christian, didn't Jesus forgive me? Why am I praying, forgive me my sins? Forgive me my sins. How does that work? And I don't think what Jesus is saying is that if you're his disciple, that every time you sin, you stop being a Christian. And every time you say sorry, you're a Christian again. So, you know, just hope that you die in a state of grace kind of thing. You know, that's not how it works. Uh, If you're a Christian, you're a Christian. If you're saved, you're saved. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God. But, you know, it's like with my kids. If my kids do something naughty, you know, they're still my kids, but there's this kind of distance in our relationship And there's a sense of of a disconnect. And so we have to be reconciled to each other just to enjoy the harmony of a close relationship. And that's how it is with a child of God. We need to keep coming to God for the forgiveness of our sins. A, A basic discipline of the Christian life is, Lord, today, show me my sins. Show me where I've gone astray today. Lord, search my heart. I have so many blind spots, so many things I can't see. Would you show me those things, so that I can repent of them and be forgiven. And notice there's a little proviso there. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for things to pray about and you're kind of just sitting there, i got nothing else to pray about, <laughs> think of the people you need to forgive. And I suspect you'll be able to fill up a lot of time. We all have people we need to forgive. You know, a lot of us just spend our days being irritated and ticked off at people. A lot of us don't even know how to have a conversation unless it's about complaining about people. As people tick me off all the time. I'm constantly let down by people. All day, multiple times a day. And so, I need to be forgiving even as I'm asking for forgiveness. Just as I sin, people sin against me. Um, I was in the car the other day and, uh, a couple weeks ago and some lady in the car in front of me pulled some stupid maneuver and, and I was like, oh. And, and out of the back seat... <laughs> Before I could say a word, one of my children said, you stupid lady. <laughs> I was like, huh, that kid said it just like I say it. Wow. <laughs> Same tone and everything, huh. <laughs> you know, I, like, wow, I, there's a lot of people I need to forgive. On the, I need to forgive the state of Massachusetts from my heart. <laughs> And the driver's in Massachusetts. It, and so, you know, a lot of us just build up resentment. A lot of us, were like, you know, a clogged artery. There's so much plaque in there of unforgiveness and bitterness. And it goes way back to people who are already dead. And it goes way into the present about the person who ticked you off today. And you just live in a state of, of, ang- of uh, you know, resentment toward people. And, and so another basic discipline of the Christian life is not just, Lord, show me my sins and forgive me. But God, show me the people I need to forgive. And a lot of times, uh, it may surprise you who comes up on that list. And a lot of times it's a daily task because it's the same person for the same thing you forgave him for yesterday, but the resentment comes again today. And so this is a daily kind of thing. And not that we earn the forgiveness of God by forgiving others, but I think it shows the sincerity of our heart that we truly are embracing grace. If we want to embrace God's grace, then we need to be people who are extending grace as well. You're either in grace or you're not in grace in terms of a mode of existence. So we need to embrace God's grace. So we pray, we worship God for His person and His program. We pray for provision, we pray for pardon. And then my last P is protection. Lead us not into temptation. That's kind of a funny saying, isn't it? You ever wrestle with that one? Like, does God lead people into temptation? I thought Satan tempted people. I mean, it wasn't Satan in the Garden of Eden who tempted Adam and Eve. and In Luke chapter 4, wasn't it Satan who tempted uh, Jesus in the wilderness, kind of like the Garden of Eden, you know, uh, the sequel? There's Jesus being tempted by Satan again to disobey God. So, what is this? Does God lead us into temptation? I don't understand that. Uh, Some people have suggested an alternate translation, lead us not into testing, or in other words, hard times, because the Greek word for temptation can also mean testing or trials in some other context. So someone said, maybe the prayer is just God, don't let me fall into difficult circumstances. Uh, But the problem there is in the Gospel of Luke, the word really isn't that uh, separated and nuanced at all. It's kind of together, a test is a trial. And isn't that true? A temptation is a kind of trial. And don't all trials bring temptations with them? And so, you know, it's tough to, I don't know, separate those out. So I, I found that explanation unsatisfying. So, so what I understand this to be is kind of a, a stylized, poetic way. This is a piece of poetry, really. A poetic way of saying, God, protect me from sin. I've just asked for forgiveness and I don't want to do it again. And so, Lord, help me today not to sin again. Don't let me go there, we might say today. Lord, I don't want to fall into those sins that I just asked forgiveness for. And you know, for each of us, there are certain sins toward which we are particularly prone. Everybody has their own pet failures, everyone has their own pet proclivities, and yours may be different from mine, and mine may be different from yours, but I bet we could all list our top two, three, four all-time favorite sins, you know, that we... if we're honest, that we like, that we like to do, that we like to commit. Um, And so we need to pray. It's like, you know, if you think of your life as a fortress where you have set yourself apart for God and God is with you there in the fortress and, and that fortress wall is against the old life and against evil. We know where there's weak spots in the wall. Every castle has a best place to attack. Every fortification has a weak point. And so the castles of our lives have certain weak points and spots where the enemy knows because he's gone there every time and it seems like he just knocks on the door and he gets in. And so we know those places in our lives where Satan gets into us. Now, uh, For some of us, it's drinking. That's just our weak spot. Uh, others, uh, it may be anger or it may be um, getting frustrated and you know, touchy and, and nasty, you know, unkind, harsh in our speech. For some of us, it's telling the truth. We have a hard time telling the truth. Um, it could be a fixation on money. It could be vanity, a fixation on our looks. Um, it could be all kinds of things. And so we have to pray, not only God, forgive me, but we need to pray, Lord, now help me today. Lord, I want to go through today without descending into the, the swamps of worrying. I don't want to sit around and worry all day because I know, Lord, that ultimately that's saying that I don't trust you. And so I want to trust you. So, Lord, help me to stand against that weak spot in my life. Or whatever it is. And so I think we need to pray daily that God would strengthen us to stand firm in the battle, to put on the spiritual armor and all that kind of stuff, to fight the fight against those particular sins, as the Puritans would say, our bosom sins, the sins that we hold close and are precious to us. Those sins need special prayer, particularly. And so we pray for protection as well. So that's the Lord's prayer. There it is. basic outline. How do you pray? God, what do I do with 15 minutes to pray? What do I do with the 20 minutes in my car ride? Well, pray about God. Praise Him for His person. Pray for His program. And then pray for your own needs. Pray for the needs of this life provision. Pray for pardon. Pray for protection. And then that's where the prayer ends. And can I say that if you simply use that outline, if you will use that basic formula for prayer, And if that's what you do, you will profoundly fail at prayer. That if you just write all the Ps on a piece of paper and fill in the blanks and structure the Lord's Prayer kind of prayer, you will come up short in prayer. Because it's not enough to have the right content and outline. We must also have the right spirit in prayer. It's not just getting the formula right. If this is not another kind of legalism where we just do it the right way and okay, I did it right. There, I did the prayer. Mm, that's not prayer. We also have to take that content and surround it with the right spirit and attitude. And I think the right spirit of prayer is there in the very first word that we skipped. Father. We must come to God as a Father. And if we don't come to Him like little children coming to Daddy, we are missing the true spirit of prayer because He is our Father. If you, you know, I think sometimes we have such anxiety over prayer and we're, oh, I'm such a bad prayer life because we have this idea that we're doing some kind of performance like it's a dance recital and someone's sitting there critiquing us and God's going, oh, I can't believe you said that. Well, that was bad, you know. And, Nice grammar. You know, it's like, this is our Father. And so we need to come with the boldness of little children, the, the lack of self criticalness of little children to run into Daddy's presence as our Heavenly Father. Jesus died on the cross so that we who are far from God, who are the enemies of God, could be adopted into the family of God. You see how beautiful this is? You know, some of us, we hear the word father, we think of our earthly fathers, and that is a bad thing. Some of us have fathers who died when we were little. Some of us had fathers who abandoned us. Some of us had fathers who were there physically, but who profoundly failed us. They were abusive, they were critical, they were absorbed in their work, they were absorbed in their drink. And we think of our fathers and it's just a profound pain and grief that we feel. But this Father did not abandon us. He sent His only Son to die for us so that through Christ we can be reconciled to God. What an awesome Father we have. And so, the bright spirit of prayer to come to our Father as little children and embrace Him as our Father. And when you come with that spirit of prayer, (laughs) you got it, you got it. And even if you miss some of the points, who cares? You understand what prayer is all about. You know, when I was writing this sermon, it was pretty cool. I was was at home and uh, up in my bedroom, because sometimes I go home to write my sermon just so I can focus and... You know, get away from all the distractions of church and whatever. But uh, <clears throat> there's one distraction I can't get away from. That's my three-year-old. And I'm sitting there typing and, you know, she comes bursting in the room. Daddy, Daddy, guess what? We saw a squirrel outside. You I'm know, like, wow. <laughs> but you know what's so cool is there's just no fear. There's no self-consciousness. She's not like, did I say squirrel? Did I pronounce that the right way? You know, or, or she's. and that's the freedom that little kids have to come into the presence of a father. And I just, I'm like, yay! You know, I'm not critiquing her. I'm just happy to see her. And so as you pray, see yourself as that little child and understand, if you are a Christian, that God is your father. Not an earthly father, but a good heavenly father who delights to hear from his children. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you're our Father. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that prayer is some kind of heinous task or some, like going to the gym to work out or something. God, prayer is just a wonderful, intimate conversation with our loving Father. And so, Lord, forgive us that we miss out on you. Forgive us that we would think ill of you. Forgive us that we would think less of you. Lord, we love you. Teach us to pray. Make us a praying church. Lord, I pray especially if someone's here who's never really ever prayed before that on this Father's Day they would put their faith in you, Jesus, that they would become a child of God and that they would begin the joy of prayer, that they would approach you as Father. And so, Lord, teach us to pray. We pray this all in the name of Christ our Savior, the Son of God. Amen. Praise to Let's stand together and worship. We want to sing of the great provision that we have in Christ that God has provided for us that that we can be called his children. So let's sing together.